Is that embarrassing as a goalie if you, as a tandem, finish the year with no shutouts? What's up and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It is the Devin Dubnik episode number 40. Sean, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Pretty fitting that uh, it's a goalie named podcast this week. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely uh, definitely a correlation there. It's funny looking at the other numbers there of the three, well, of the five players in Oilers history that will have worn 43 of them goaltenders. Not really shocking, um, but we're going to get into lots and lots of top uh, topics around the Edmonton Oilers goaltending this this past week. It's rare we have so many good things to say about this. Hey, I mean, in terms of good things to say about goaltending and defense overall, yeah, I think that's pretty rare this season. Yeah, it uh, we're we're pretty lucky. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so since we last recorded the Edmonton Oilers coming off a two and O record, uh, both those games can't even bury the lead here. Both shutouts. Uh, I don't know what I have done since we've last recorded, but I'm trying to wear the same clothes, trying to talk the same, record at the same time of day. Like, uh, did you expect two shutouts in those in the last week? I mean, I was hopeful that we would get a shutout this season, considering we've had none. So that was a little embarrassing to be one of, I think, two teams who hadn't got a shutout yet. Yeah, it's funny because after Skinner got his in the first. Uh, I think it was Principe just asking him about the uh, the anticipation of it, but he had mentioned that uh, him and uh, Campbell both had kind of a running gag the entire season about who's going to get it. And uh, oddly enough, in back-to-back games, they both get their first. Well, I was going to wonder if that was in the back of their heads at all in terms of like, like, is that embarrassing as a goalie if you, as a tandem, finish the year with no shutouts? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. And especially finish like where the Oilers are are projecting to go right now in terms of the the standings. Like it's it's pretty wild. Lots to dive into. Let's start with the LA game. Um, obviously Skinner top of mind. Um, I I don't think you could look for a better game out of him. Uh, in that game, a lot of things stood out. The way the Edmonton Oilers that that might have been their most complete dominant game of all season. I mean, I looked at Boston, but that entire game was so tight. Well, that was easily a picture of what's to come if we play LA in the first round. Yeah. I think LA yeah. is a much better team than they were last year. But to be fair, I think we are a much better team than we were last year. I think that's a fair assessment. I I know that the Oilers like they kept mentioning going into the game how this is like this is going to be a definition of what the playoffs are going to look like and that they have to focus on it and um from the drop of the puck to the last minute, it, it was absolutely, you know, a complete team game. And there's so many things to touch on. Obviously, we have the the Skinner stuff that we'll get to in, in a minute. But Matthias Ekholm just paid his entire, like, salary that last couple of minutes of the hockey game. Man, that is, uh, that is the quintessential what I want to see out of our defensemen, even if they have a stick or not. Like mm-hmm. that level of desperation that he was playing with there, considering they had a two goal lead as well in like the dying seconds of the game. It was pretty crazy to see him pretty much throwing his face in front of any passes across the crease. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the thing I have to keep reminding myself is we still have this guy for years on end. 
Like, this is not a couple games and done. Um, I think what we're seeing from him, and obviously the the records, I think the Oilers like 13-2 and two since he started playing for Edmonton. Uh, but 13-2-1 or something crazy like that. Like, this is a guy who's going to make people around you better. And I think it's evident right now with our defense. Oh, for sure. And, like, I think it's obvious what he's done for Bouchard. He's pretty much just done similar to what Keith did for him last year, but like on steroids, essentially like Bouchard is playing out of his mind, playing with Ekholm, who's playing out of his mind above what he was doing in Nashville too. So I think it might say something about the team as well, that we're able to help him elevate his game, not him just helping us elevate our overall game. Yeah, totally. Uh, Yeah. Then there's the nurse and CC pairing, which has played fantastic as well. Yeah, I didn't want to lose uh, lose sight of that because we have bashed on CC a little bit over the past couple weeks. But yeah, I, I just think it's it's a product of having all these guys starting to gel together. And um, I mean, when you surround yourself with better players and players with more compete, like it just wants you to put that much more effort into your own game. So uh, very evident of what we're seeing so far. Uh, another thing of note in the game, uh, long awaiting, I honestly didn't, see Connor McDavid being the last of the three getting to 300, but uh, he puts uh, puts away his 300th goal uh, with his entire family in the stands. And uh, I don't know if there's more of a brother lookalike that are not twins than what we saw in Cat McDavid during the intermi- or intermission. I think I've seen him before, obviously, but mm-hmm. I feel like he looks more like McDavid now than he ever has. I don't know if it's the beard or what it is, because they grow identical beards. So they're not the best beards in the world, but they are identical when it comes to facial hair. And I think that yeah. is really what was drawing out that comparison in my eyes where I couldn't not see no name brand McDavid whenever I saw him. Yeah, that's it's a great point, because that's the first thing that I noticed, too, Um coming from a guy who can't grow a full beard to save save his life like um as soon as i saw that i was like that's what it is that's exactly what it is but um it was funny to just see it you know floating around the the social media the next day uh but uh, it's kind of cool to see his entire family in the stands for uh, such a cool moment and of course the edmonton oilers getting uh the two nothing win uh we got to give some love here to Stuart skinner because it seems like every single time the Oilers finish a game, there's some sort of milestone that's being completed. Uh, Skinner setting the Oilers franchise record with 10 wins in a single month, beating Mike Smith, Tommy Sal, Grant Fear, and Annie Moog, who are all tied with nine. This is a guy who's still statistically considered a rookie, Sean. I mean, he's certainly making a name for himself in terms of the Calder Trophy race. Though, to be fair, it might be a little bit too late in the season to be making that run outside of maybe getting some votes through recency of bias. Um, And I only say that because I think Logan Thompson has better stats. But I can tell Mm -hmm. you Logan Thompson did not win 10 games in a single month. I mean, it's it's hard to look at Skinner's stats and really you know, downplayed. He's got, a, he's got a case. The only thing that I think gets kind of pushed back is he's been in that little bit of a lull for the last like two months. But um, like we had mentioned last week, if the Oilers are starting to, you know, get together and start playing the best hockey of all their entire season right now, like what more could you ask for? Like fuck the trophies and stuff. But you know what I mean? Still, if things are, are on the upswing, this is uh this is a sign of things to come, man. It's crazy. 
Well, it's a great time of year, like you said, to be peaking. Like, the only thing is you would certainly hope that it's not peaking, what, like six games too early. Um, yeah. Because obviously you want them peaking this month and next month and the month after that. But I think yeah. they're really finding their game, learning what it takes to, like, they can play offense with the best of them. They're the best offensive team in the league. And now they're, I think they're learning how to better defend as a unit and really limit those high danger chances on their goalies that seem to be crippling them all this year. Yeah. And yeah, I just hope uh, they find a way to bring it around and keep this consistent. Maybe we can keep the shutout streak alive for as long as we can. <laughs> yeah. And, and we say this recording here uh, right before the LA game. So uh, you'll probably be listening afterwards again. Fingers are very much crossed for that one, but just to, to tie a nice little bow on this, uh, it was not April Fools. Uh, Stuart Skinner named Rookie of the Month, posting a 10-1-1 record, 2.83 goals against average, and a 9.08 save percentage in the month of March. Uh, stats aren't lying, man. The stats are not lying. All right, jumping into Saturday night, the Edmonton Oilers facing the Anaheim Ducks. I'm not going to lie to you. An 8 o'clock game on a day that I was already tired against Anaheim was not something I wanted to look forward to, to watching. <laughs> um, but uh, I definitely, I missed the the first, I want to say half of the game, and I tuned in to see it for nothing. Um, kind of went how I hoped it would go. I don't know about you. Well, it's certainly the way I hoped, and honestly, it was the way I expected it to go, too. I know Anaheim really ran... Edmonton shit earlier in the year in the one game they played. So it's yeah. nice to see them keep a crappy team like Anaheim in check, not let them fly off the handle a little bit offensively and really batten down the hatches, both defensively and through goaltending. Well, and it's funny that you, uh, you mentioned that because like when you look at that game against Anaheim and look at the team that was playing there, um, it's just, it's a tale of two different teams. Like Edmonton was not playing, you know, the the kind of hockey not even the same echelon of hockey that they're playing right now oh it wasn't even remotely the same and i think the team has like i keep saying they've found their game defensively and i'm hoping they can maintain that going into the playoffs here and mm -hmm. like i don't think anybody can really run with edmonton when it comes to if they have solid defense i saw a couple memes floating around after this game where it was uh, Happy Gilmore being like, uh-oh, Oilers learned how to play defense. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that are starting to, you know, in the, the hockey community on Twitter that I'm starting to see being like, okay, are the Oilers for real? Like, it, it, they're, they're not exactly hiding as much anymore. Well, certainly not. I think they're becoming, they're, they were probably a little underrated to go throughout the year and now they're starting to I think reach their potential yeah. what people thought they were going to be which was like oh this team's going to run away with the division this year like their team is unbelievable offensively uh, they might have some defensive and goaltending shortcomings but they'll be able to outscore that and to be fair we were doing that most of the year but it was almost insurmountable how poorly our defense was at the beginning of the year and then our goaltending was in the middle of the year and now everything's kind of patched and we're just dominating teams. Yeah. Yeah. I, you kind of think of the lulls, like you can, you can try to outscore teams as much as you want in the, in the regular season. I just don't think it's a, it's a long-term solution, especially heading into playoffs. So 
it's nice to see that aspect of the game getting better right now. And um, yeah, the the back end just really quietening down. But uh, just before we leave the Anaheim game, uh, definitely some some milestones to touch on. Jack Campbell getting his first shutout, as we mentioned. And then we have Leon Dreisaitl getting the hat trick for 50 goals. Uh, it's the I think the third time they mentioned that he hit 50 goals and the other two are on the road. This is the first time he's ever hit it at home to hit it at home on a Saturday night on a hat trick. Like, that's amazing. No. Oh, it was awesome. I loved every second of it. And I found it really funny because before the game started in the pregame coverage or whatever, Ron McLean was like, Mc, or dry saddle sitting at 47 goals just needs that hat trick for 50. I think he's going to do it tonight. <laughs> I love when they're like half kidding about a, like a prediction or something that'd be like completely outlandish. And then it actually comes to fruition. It's just like, it's the hockey gods, man. Well, you know, he's thinking, he's just like, I want this to happen on my program because it makes us <laughs> look better. And then Dry Settle just goes and does it. As soon as he scored that first one, that's all I can think about. And then the second one, I was like, oh, it's happening. There's no way he's not getting the hat trick. Yeah. So I, I tuned in just, I think I saw his second goal. And uh, from there on out, like you could just, you know, when you tell that players are on a mission, like there's no stopping, uh, no stopping them. Like it was one of those games, man. To be fair, he did say in the post-game interview, he's like, I was trying a little bit harder than usual to get that third one. <laughs> yeah, you're up that much at that point. It's it's more of a personal mission at that point. <laughs> um, Yeah, so we're sitting here. We've got some other stuff to uh, touch on, but let's just take a, a sense check where the Edmonton Oilers are at. Uh, we're sitting here with, you know, five games left, and... Vegas finished up last night, so between Vegas, LA, Edmonton, uh, we've all got the same amount of games. The only exception, Seattle's got one game in hand. Uh, I don't really see Seattle catching, so I, I see it as a 1-2-3 horse race in uh, the Pacific, all separated by four points. The Edmonton Oilers' schedule looks like the easiest of the bunch right now. Like, what is your expectation of finishing first? The Oilers, granted, right now, down four points to Vegas in terms of the, the standings. What so is your, your expectation? Here's what I'm thinking. Looking at Vegas's schedule, they play Nashville, L.A., Dallas, and then Seattle twice to close out the year. I would say between the three teams, they have the hardest schedule. And yeah. I think... Any statistic would probably show that those five teams are better in culmination compared to all of the other teams that LA and Edmonton are playing. But LA's schedule does look fairly equal to Edmonton. I know we play San Jose twice, but they play Anaheim and Vancouver, as well as Colorado, which we also play. And then they obviously play us tonight, but they also play Vegas. Right. So I yeah. think this game and Thursday's game against Edmonton, and then against Vegas will be huge for LA to determine where they finish in the standings. If they lose both of those games, I think LA finishes third for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think we could, we could catch Vegas considering the quality oh. of their schedule. I know yeah. we're down by four points with only five games left, but I could see Vegas going like two and three in their last five games and us winning all five of them in theory. Like, obviously that's a big, a big order to, to answer there, but I think they could do it and I would 
I don't know if I'd put my money on it, but I definitely think that Edmonton can do it. Okay, I like the positivity. I'm going to take it a step further. If the Edmonton Oilers can beat Vegas tonight, Vegas tonight, LA tonight, and on Thursday, LA can beat Vegas, all in regulation, both games, put the fucking gas to the bandwagon. We are going to win the West. So when you say win the West, you are also using the other division as well, correct? I am also using the other division. So that, well, I guess we are technically ahead of all the other teams. In the exactly. Other However, exactly. Colorado does still have seven games left. But I think I would agree with you if we beat Colorado and I think it's LA beats Colorado. Yeah, LA plays Colorado. Um, so yeah. if those two t- games go our way in terms of Colorado losing, yes, I believe we could most definitely win the West. Just just putting that out there. Good juju. <laughs> With that being said though, I I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it into a little bit of a different question here because uh uh it got brought up. Uh I was having a chat with one of my buddies, um and they were mentioning how what are your thoughts about Edmonton's playoff situation? And I'm gonna use the word that everybody fucking hates in the NBA but workload management. I know it's a different sport. I know that we've seen it in the past, but there's a lot of players that are on cusps of like insane records. Do you look at McDavid with uh, the salary cap era goals per season? Um, you look at like all the other paces that um, other players are on. Is there any chance of the remaining five games that you see Nugent Hopkins, you know, Drysidle McDavid sat out. The only way I see them sitting games is a we are out of the race for both home ice advantage and first in the division. Mm. And um, did I say a already? B. <laughs> I was like I forget how to spell um, one. <laughs> one and B. The. Uh, the points race has to be like completely out of it. Like I know Drysaddle hit fifty, so that's a check. Yeah, Nuge has yeah. to hit a hundred for him to rest, and I think McDavid will have to probably break like Ovechkin's salary cap era record for goals for him to be willing to sit. He seems the type of guy that you like. Do you want to sit? And if he's healthy, he's gonna be like, "Get fucked, I'm playing." <laughs> I mean, he's three away to tie, four to win. And uh, Nuge is three points away. So, I mean, we have a couple power plays in the next couple couple nights. You never know. But I, I think that kind of makes sense. Um, realistically, what would be your thoughts? Because my opinion is if you're going to sit someone, especially heading into playoffs, I think maybe, if, like you mentioned, if you get to those things, I'd kind of prioritize sitting the guys that are going to be like minute munchers, like guys like Darnell Nurse, like maybe a Matias Ekholm. You know, a lot of those guys that are going to be eating heavy, heavy min- uh, minutes in the playoffs. Um, I don't well, know. What's your one thoughts thing there? We, one thing we have to consider is the potential cap implications of sitting guys. Um, because we can't bring yeah. people really up because we don't have the cap space until the playoffs start. Mm-hmm. Where cap is just a idea and a concept and nobody <laughs> gives a shit anymore. Um, with that being said, like... 
I could see nurse or at home sitting if they're uh, a tired and B they want to get Broberg some more time. I guarantee Broberg plays that was, at least two of the games. That, that was going to be my my question. Yeah, do you put him in for one of them? Yeah, I could see that. And then in terms of forwards, like I don't know if Drysaddle's nursing anything of any kind still, but they might consider sitting him because, like I mentioned, he's already kind of hit his milestone for the year. So, like, I don't think he's probably against sitting especially if he has any sort of nagging injury of any kind but i would definitely think that they would consider sitting people who have nagging injuries um yeah the only people who would not get sat like i mentioned would be nuge and mcdavid barring them hitting these milestones that they're looking for yeah yeah i yeah those are the the couple that i see and i mean the other ones that you know Kind of the regulars, the Hymans, the Yamamoto's. I definitely think Yamamoto needs to play the rest of these games just to get his legs, you know, back. He's just starting to get back into the groove. Uh, I, I don't think you can uh, pull him out. Um, switching from the race of uh, the Edmonton Oilers, just kind of to the bottom, uh, looking at the wild card situation. Currently, with five games left, you have Calgary that's two points out, and then you have Nashville that's they got a game in hand. Uh, granted, but they're they're currently five points out of the second wild card spot, which is held by Winnipeg with eighty nine points. Of those three teams, Sean, like which one is going to make it? Well, I think you would probably want to put the money on Winnipeg because they're already in two points up, same games played as Calgary. Um, yeah. The only thing, well, actually, Winnipeg is on a two-game win streak now. They've kind of broke through that uh, wall that but they I, were hitting. Yeah, tough stretch for them. But I really, and I mean I really, do not want to see Calgary make it with 15 overtime losses. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, that's... Honestly, that's just embarrassing for the NHL in general. If a team can have like that many losses and sneak <laughs> into the playoffs, essentially because of it. I'll have to check and see what it was last year because it has got to be like they have had to have had like at least that last year. Oh, for sure. Like there's something with Calgary and sucking ass and extra time that they just can't seem to break. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just like seeing Winnipeg have 43 wins and Calgary have 36 and Calgary being above them in the standings would just look stupid to me. Like, yeah. I, I just don't, I just don't understand. I would like to switch to the three point system just so I don't have to look at these like double digit overtime loss scores that teams have like, and to be fair, Edmonton is at nine, but like, it's just something else. And I guess Dallas is at 14 overtime losses. It's still, yeah, it's still a lot of extra points there. <laughs> yeah. Well, like getting into the playoffs with essentially less than 40 wins seems a little crazy to me yeah yeah i totally agree totally agree um just taking a look uh wrapping up with a couple different topics that we've got here uh you saw the team photo stuff from uh the oilers yesterday i did see the team photo yeah i am a little bit confused as to why they put the goalies on the edge i don't know why they that was new too hey I don't like, I don't know if that's in previous photos, but it just feels like the goalies are just pushed to the outside like they don't matter, <laughs> like they're not one of the most important parts of the team. Yeah. Isn't Ken Holland like squished more towards the middle than Jack Campbell? 
Like it's, well, yeah, yeah, Holland and Woodcroft are in the middle of the team. Yeah, Meanwhile, the goalies are on the flanks just like minding their own business. <laughs> it just seems a little bit odd to me. I don't fully understand it, but it's really cool to see like the team as a whole. Would have been really funny to see Yamamoto beside uh, DeHarnay. I wish they would have done that. Um, <laughs> but interestingly, I don't know if it, it means anything in terms of the leadership core, but they have Nuge in the middle beside McDavid and not Dreisaitl, which I would have I- expected. Yeah, that was interesting. I caught that. That was one of the things I noticed. I wonder if it has to do like a seniority thing or or what, but um, I noticed that. Uh, and then just some of the comments. Did, I don't know if you saw some of the ones that were um, just sitting in there, one being uh, with DeArnay like pointing out. And if you've seen the photo, go take a look at it right now. Uh, the comment was, believe it or not, DeArnay is not on a riser right now. <laughs> just standing on the ice towering above everybody <laughs> yeah. and then the other one being like uh it was an an iso shot of ryan murray being like when you didn't show up to class and still got an a on the project where even little, is ryan murray in this photo uh thinking the second row off to the right hand side oh yeah there but, he is now i see him. yeah yeah <laughs> the the only thing i could think of was Clearly, the photographer, when they took this photo, told everybody yeah. in the front row to spread your fingers and put them on your knees. And it looks incredibly <laughs> unnatural and throws me off super hard. I didn't even look into that uh, that detail, but now that's going to bug me like crazy. <laughs> that's all I can see is everybody's fucking fingers. <laughs> uh, in other news, uh, Dylan Holloway back from injury in Baco. Starting to light it up, man. Five games, he's put up four points. Um, on a four-game point streak as well. Like, uh, is he? I don't know. I'm not gonna say it, John. I'm not gonna say it. I'm well, gonna say it because it's be we're, we're recording the no, no. I could definitely see him uh, being the black ace. Uh, he definitely needs to be called up. But uh, I, the Edmonton Oilers just in the past have had such a a reputation for having guys that put up massive points in the uh in the AHL and then just not being able to crack it up at the roster. I'm not saying that I'm not fucking saying that Dylan Holloway can't, can't crack it, but you just saw how many games it took to, you know, to put up the point total that he has in Edmonton. Granted, he's getting way different minutes playing with different people down in, uh, uh, Baco. Um, it just, it was interesting to see someone go right back to Bakersfield in the AHL and just light it up again. Well, it just goes to show the quality of player he is. To be fair, like if we had a little bit better of wingers, say for example, um, like Pugliarvi played better when he was here, or Yamamoto didn't get mm-hmm. hurt, or Kane didn't get hurt, I think Holloway probably should have spent the year in the AHL after playing a few games at the beginning of the yeah. year because he did earn a spot at the beginning of the year. He yeah, played that's true. Great in the preseason, and he was very noticeable in the first few games. But um, I think he kind of overstayed his welcome a little bit in air quotes um, because I just think he needed to play more quality minutes against uh, more competent, like not similar competition, but the ability to gain some confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to I'm going to transition this one to you because I didn't even see this article, but uh it's nice to see and kind of hear Alish Hemsky starting to open up about uh, his life during retirement. You said you caught another article uh, in the Czech Republic, correct? Czechia, yeah, so, I guess that's the right way to say it now. 
Yeah, essentially there was an article released in some Czechia website. I don't know for sure. I'm going to put it into English right now and see if it actually gives me anything. It just says sport.sk, so whatever that means. But anyways, it was a little bit of a, I would say, a, a darker look at Hemsky's post-playing career. Um, mm. Essentially, he was lost all of his direction in life and contemplated like suicide for example um even though he had a like wonderful family who loved him he had millions of dollars from playing hockey but he was like i don't know like injured through his concussions and like had issues with that with like vertigo and dizziness and it was just making his life miserable and it just goes to show that just these just because these players are where they are and making millions of dollars doing what they love. It doesn't mean that that's the be all end all. Sometimes you just, you just aren't all there and it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sad thing is like knowing how much he dealt with uh, his concussion issues and how much uh, kind of that head trauma impacted not only his, his playing career, but more so his his life outside of things. That's why like, it's really, really tough. Um, just with all the stories that have kind of gone around in the NHL with uh, players with, uh, you know, CTE or uh, any kind of like resulting head trauma uh, that, you know, we've got this, this dark room situation now. And it's, it's one of those things that when a player that, you know, gets hit has to go and go into the dark room, answer some questions, take 10 minutes, get evaluated. It's tough in the moment to understand and be okay with it. But, you know, there's a reason for it and you never like to hear stuff like this. So uh, good on uh, Alish for coming out and, you know, um, bring it to the forefront. It's good to keep this kind of topic forefront because I mean, we're still learning so much about these concussion injuries and the, the, the lasting effects they have on players. Well, and at the same time, it could be incredibly like eye opening to a lot of other players when they retire and they're feeling similar things as like Hemsky is or has felt. And they realize that like, it's not the end of the world. You might, you'll find a way around it, like things like that and help them push through it a little bit maybe, because Mm -hmm. I think that's a, obviously a common thing that um, NHL players struggle with regardless of CTE or anything like that, which is finding a purpose after they retire. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's it's kind of nice to see a lot of the, the people jumping into media or if they're getting into hockey or whatever, as soon as they're finding some kind of different passion. I know there's there's a lot of players that start up businesses or, you know, just just as simple as coaching their their kids hockey team. Like it, it's 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 cool to see, like just keeping themselves busy and, and finding that uh, that way to give back or or to help out wherever they can. Um. Yeah, but that being said, let's let's just finish up here on a, a couple different topics. I want to talk scoring race, and I want to talk Calder Trophy odds, Sean. Alrighty, sounds good to me. You you pick a topic. Uh, let's start with Calder Trophy odds. Let's go Calder Trophy odds. All right, uh, just released earlier this week. Um, I don't know if I'll ever gamble on shit like this. This is more of a risky thing for me because. I've I've seen it go so so differently in so many years, um, but I mean the odds are out there. Maddie Beneers the uh, the odds on favorite. Uh, you've got Mason McTavish at plus eight hundred, Cole Perfetti sixteen hundred, Owen Power, and 
the last guy I'm going to get to, Stuart Skinner with plus 2,500. Do you think Stuart Skinner can can get up there into the top? He's in top five, I guess, right now in terms of favorites. Does he get up within top three? I think he could get up there if he started like the rest of the games and ran like one goal a game at the most in all the remaining games. But mm-hmm. um, to be fair, I do think his plus 2,500 that he has is yeah. recency bias. And to, also these odds are based to a degree off what people are betting. So I yes, think that's true. after he got that shutout, a lot of people <laughs> were like, okay, let's put money on Skinner to win the Calder. Um, because if you look, for example, like he's had a great season, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like Logan Thompson, for example, for example, has very similar stats for a goalie as he does, if not mm-hmm. slightly better. And somehow Logan Thompson's at plus 7,500. Well, that was going to be my, my question to you is, do you agree with that top five to begin with? Well, like, obviously, Matty Beniers has been fantastic. I think he probably wins. Um, yeah. And then I would probably personally put, like, Owen Power second and maybe mm-hmm. have Jake Sanderson a little bit higher. But outside of that, I don't follow a lot of these teams too closely. So I don't know how great Cole Perfetti has been. I know, like, Mason McTavish is on an absolute ass fucking Ducks team. So, <laughs> like, maybe he's just on there because he's doing well relative to his teammates more so than he is in the actual NHL as a whole. And Mm -hmm. yeah, ultimately it's kind of a crapshoot this year. Nobody is really running away with it. Um, Matty Beniers is considered to be quote unquote running away with it just because he was the favorite going into the season and he's done pretty well. He's at something like just over 50 points in 70 something games. Yeah. He's a, he's definitely a special player. Um, oh, for sure. But ultimately, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with the way the odds have doing it or are setting it out because it is very recency biased. Um, and I don't know if I'd put money on Skinner winning, but I do think he will get some second place votes, some third place votes and maybe a like a first place vote. But it will probably be wrapped around uh, bias, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I I, <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Um, I, I think there was a lot of, uh, emphasis on, on him at the start of the season, but I mean, there's, there's stuff for, for Owen power as well, Mason McTavish, but, um, I think he's, he's the, uh, there's a reason he's the odds on favorite to win. Um, and then just wrapping up with the, the scoring race again, a five game out, uh, check-in, uh, we'll see, we'll probably record after the next three Edmonton Oilers games. So we'll get a better sense of where we're at, but uh, Connor McDavid sitting 146 points. Second place is 26 fucking points behind him with Leon Dreisaitl. And then behind him, you have another 14-point gap with Nikita Kucherov. Like, this is insane, dude. I don't understand how he has a 40-point lead on the next, like, non-teammate. Right? That is yeah. batshit insane. Yeah, absolutely wild. Uh, and then sitting down in seventh spot, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, 97 points. Is there any chance that RNH gets like one MVP vote? Just one MVP? Probably not. Like un- maybe he gets like a couple Selkie votes or something like that. But like, I don't see MVP votes only because like, <laughs> how are you the MVP behind McDavid and Dreisaitl? Like, I even hear them. Some people being like, "Oh yeah, like Drysaddle gets some votes." I'm like, "Will he? 
How is how is he the MVP in any world outside of like McDavid? I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of arguments for um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins to put him higher than where he's at in terms of the value that he's put on for the team. I mean, you look at his his penalty killing. Uh, he's got the third highest shooting percentage in the entire league behind McDavid and Drysaitel. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I just a- asked that question because. I just feel that they're, especially with the local media, um, there's a little bit of a, a push to, you know, give Ryan Nugent Hopkins a little bit more more uh, notoriety than he seemed to be getting this season. Well, unfortunately, he's kind of drowned out by McDavid's 146 points. As much as we love what he's been able to do, like other people don't even realize because they don't look past the the top five scoring leaders on the like TSN or NHL like source page for scoring where it only shows the top five for each category. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But just looking at these points overall, like I think McDavid's running away with the goals as well. He's six goals ahead of uh, Pasternak, who has 56 Obviously, he's pulling away in assists as well with 84, and I think Kucherov is closest with 77. So Crown impressive, baby. To see, impressive to see Carlson up there at number 10 as a defenseman with 95 points. Yeah, no shit, hey. And Especially on that team. Oh, yeah. like he's Well, maybe that's why, part of the reason why he's doing so well is nobody else can score, and it's the old <laughs> adage, somebody on the team has to score. So, yeah. like, if it's not going to be Thomas Hurdle, it's pretty much Eric Carlson, and there's nobody else on the team. Um, it's also pretty cool to see Pedersen uh, having a great year after having a really off year last year. I do like him a lot as a player. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then I don't know if it's disappointing or what to say about it, but it's still pretty impressive is Matthew Kachuk with 102 points already this year playing uh, in Florida. Do you think uh, Calgary regrets that trade yet? Mm. I think they regretted it the like the first month probably of the season when Huberdo was dog shit and still is. Uh, tough, tough. Uh, <laughs> but as we transition out, the Edmonton Oilers facing LA. Uh, the game's gonna be uh, done as you're listening to this this episode. So uh, hopefully everything went well, Sean. Everything had a we had a great game. Um, I'm just manifesting this right now so that I don't have to uh, uh, deal with the mentions afterwards. But uh, Edmonton, next time we record, will have played LA. They'll have played Anaheim and then on Saturday night against the Sharks. Ooh, um, Saturday night. No, it's Saturday afternoon. Oh, did I? F- Seriously? 2 p.m., Greg. Another 2 p.m. game. Well, we got an 8.30 start tonight, so I'll have to deal with that. Yeah, I can't Um, wait to watch one period and record it and watch the rest tomorrow. We'll see you next week. 